Thank you for tuning in to the Hope Community Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Hello, everybody. Howdy. How's it going? Welcome to the dwelling. Possibly the final one for 2020. At least least a long one. Yeah, we'll probably hop on once or twice. But this is the final um, countdown. (laughs) For learning to walk in the dark. It's the final countdown. Okay, well, <laughs> that was a thing that we did. Booyah. Now we're ready to roll. Oh <laughs> uh, so how are you doing? You doing all right? I'm doing good. You doing good? Yeah, been learning a lot. Nice. We've been reading about the dark night of the soul. Ooh. That would have been a good one for the last time we did this because we're so close to... Halloween, All Hallows Eve, The Dark Night of the Soul. Mm. That would have been a good one. But, hey, we saved the best for last because I feel like this chapter here is the best chapter in the entire book. I can agree with that. I love it. Love it. Uh, and, and maybe because it hits home quite a bit yeah. in some spots and makes me want to wave a hanky in some other ones. Yeah. So, but... Um, so, what... When you hear that phrase, dark night of the soul, before you read this, what did you think? Like, what did that mean to you? What feelings did it bring out? Well, it's kind of it's kind of hard because I know the old school uh, author that she's like, going to talk about. No, I'm talking about you. So, like, when you first heard that ever. Ever, okay. The first... Not since you've been, you know, spiritually enlightened. <laughs> No, probably the first time that I ever heard that phrase, it kind of sounded a little spooky to me Mm. uh, and a little scary and kind of, you know, the same feelings and thoughts that we've read earlier in the book, how, you know, you're kind of taught that you're supposed to be afraid of the dark, that you're supposed to be afraid of, you know, those places and times in your life where, you know, there's questions and doubt. And so to me, that sounded like a bad thing. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I mean... um, the That's first time I ever heard. heard that was when someone was going through, like, they had made a bad choice, and it was just wreck. It, it just wrecked them. Like, there was no coming back from this kind of thing. It was a pastor that we used to um, follow. Yeah. And it was, like, a thing that you couldn't, you would never recover from. So that's why I always thought it was a bad thing, a very bad thing Yeah. to experience a dark night of the soul. Yeah, that and even the the idea that it's, um, you know, like a, a really bad wilderness, maybe, mm-hmm. is another one, uh, a really bad desert spot or whatever. Right. So, yeah, I can kind of see the that same, that same thought process, like... Um, you know, this this is definitely not a good thing. Right. <laughs> so, but the very first thing starting off in this chapter is a quote by David, and I believe it's Wagoneer. It's or Wagner. Wagner. You just say Wagner. Wagner. Well, it looks like Wagoneer. But we know a Wagner that spells his name like that. Oh, yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> anyway, the quote from him, what really stood out, um, I'll just read the whole thing. It says, stand still. The trees ahead and bushes beside you are not lost. Wherever you are is just called here. And you must treat it as a powerful stranger. And you must ask permission to know it and be known. And I love the phrase, wherever you are is called here. You're not lost. You're here. That made me think of wherever you go, there you are. Okay. Like, (laughs) that funny thing you used to say. I'm so there. sad right now. Oh, this is a he whole just got a, he cup just, of coffee, and now there's a bug in it. It's a little gnat. Oh. Oh. So sad. Have a moment of silence for your coffee. I wish that wasn't here. Okay. So this is mixed dark night of the soul right now. Right now. Can't drink my coffee. So see if we can work our um, way through it. But, you know... So let's get let's let's go let's get into this. So I quit thinking about the the, the gnat and my coffee, and we oh we, get, we get to move on. <laughs> okay. Um, but man, uh, 
uh, right when you get into this, they start talking about these different ideas of the dark night of the soul, that some see it as it's a time when you follow a great loss, or a time when you're leading up to a, a tough decision, uh, a time when you're tested, a time when it seems like you're losing your faith. It's in these moments that a dark night descends. Um, and then uh, you start, you know, the idea here is you start feeling uh, trouble in the soul, and there's an apparent absence of God. And then she goes on to talk about how we have this concept that God is always this bright, sunny light. And we miss out on the fact that God is just light, and there's never a moment where there's not light. Even in the darkest moments, there's light. He's all things. He, yeah, like he's right. bo- like he's both. There's uh, there's not a it's not like a either or. Right. He, God's not an either or. So when we get into this moment where it 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 seems like it's overwhelming or it's dark, the answer is not retreating. The answer is just going through. And I like that she says here, um, there is an impenetrability to this darkness that isolates the soul inside. For good or ill, no one can do your work for you while you're in this dark place. It has your name all over it, and the only way out is through. Right. So, Because we, we've learned through, the, through these chapters before that darkness isn't a bad thing. And right. so now we're at this place where we're actually getting to the nitty-gritty in those moments when you feel like you're in a dark night of the soul. And it's in those places that we just need to own it. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be we don't need to be afraid of it. We don't need to say that it's not here, which happens quite a bit. Well, yeah, we try to deny things for a long time, and that in my life, if I try to act like nothing's happening, it will. I mean, it just makes it that much worse. Right. When I finally can't do that anymore, and I have to face that thing. And and also, we sometimes have people that tell us to get over it or they tell us uh we'll just let go and let god mm. that's <laughs> yeah or just have don't more, say that to people right like, just, just don't do that just, just have away. just have more faith just have more faith and okay. uh, going through a dark night in the soul doesn't mean you have a lack of faith if anything it means that your faith is going to be strengthened in this moment um yeah, but, that's good. I mean, it's not a question of faith. Right. Like, this is dark nights and things like that. That's a human experience. Like, that's something everybody's going to go through. Right. Because we're not promised that everything's going to be peachy right. all the time. Yeah. It's so, not going to be sunshine. Right. And so time. trying to live in that, you're setting yourself up for failure because you're not going to be equipped to deal with that. Right. It's actually very toxic. Yeah, that's what we yeah we've been talking about that right. throughout this whole um, book, and I like how here she says that um, we need to learn the different tones of voice that we fear. Um, it uses us to warn you away from something. Right, and I love also that she brings out this point too, that when in some places when we get in in into uh, a dark night or whatever, and you can definitely feel the triggers of. You know, depression or an anxiety, mm-hmm. you know, or loneliness or anything like that. She brings out, hey, this might be a good time to call a specialist. It might be a good time to make an appointment with an with a doctor. Might be a good time to go see a, a therapist. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church, for some reason, has uh, made that a very shameful thing. Right. And we not- should not be ashamed of that. We no. that should be something that uh, should be something that we look. F- that we look to for an answer. Just like if your knee hurts, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you know, you could be stubborn and not call the doctor, but if you call the doctor, it's going to get better. And so there's sometimes we need to know like, Hey, uh, maybe I need to call somebody. Maybe mm-hmm. I need to, to set, make an appointment and talk to a professional, um, about this. Um, she says it's natural to spend some time wondering if it is a test or punishment for something you've done. And this, I thought this was really interesting. She says, this is often a sly way of staying in control of the situation since the possibility that you have caused it comes with the hope that you can also put an end to it either by passing the test or enduring the punishment. This is beyond your control. One of the hardest things to decide during a dark night is whether to surrender or resist. The choice often comes down to what you believe right. about God uh-huh, and how God acts which means that every dark night of the soul, 
wrestling involves wrestling with belief. Right. And I think, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that that is so crucial to figure out what you really believe about God. Um, whether, and I think, because if you see God as someone who will punish you for doing something he doesn't want you to do. Right. If you think that he's a punisher, then you're, then yeah, you're automatically going to try to atone. Is that the right word? Yeah. For the thing that you may have done. Right. But if you see God as a good father, as a good mother, then you're going to know, okay, they're not doing this to me. This is just something I have to go through. And you have a different lens to see this dark night through. Right. Um, It comes down to how you see, it comes down to how you see things. Do you, do you see God as a punisher or do you see God as good? Do you see God as out to get you or do you see right. God as with you? Right. And so if you think God is out to get you, then you're going to think anytime that you go through something dark, anytime you go through questions or doubt or loneliness right. or just pain, you're automatically going to think that he's punishing you or that um, maybe uh, you're being punished because of a decision that you made or something like that. And and in no way, shape, or form, we're not saying that there's not consequences to some of the dumb decisions that we make. No, but those are those are consequences. That's right. not being caused by God. Exactly. That's not being like, hmm, well, Nick didn't uh, take the trash out, so er, right. lightning bolt. So, right. God has the soul for you. And so, you know, um, those are things that the, those things those are things that we wrestle through, but. Uh, oftentimes in that in those dark places the the questioning the doubts and all of that that's not something that's punishment it's something that we're wrestling with to walk through right you have to go through so perception is everything how you see god and how you think he sees you is Mm -hmm. very important um yeah (laughs) <laughs> There's already so much good stuff right there. I know. Um, we had to go through and make like a list of things we wanted to talk about because these three chapters were just like yeah, um, so full of good stuff and we right. would be here for hours So being awkward. And right. But the, where the, the whole concept of Dark Knight of the Soul comes from is actually from a monk called, uh, his name is John. He wrote a book called Dark Knight of the Soul and he wrote it in a prison after being thrown there by mm-hmm. guess who uh, his uh, fellow monks and a church mm-hmm. we always like to punish our, our own selves when we don't quite understand what's going on but it's in the prison cell while he's going through all this stuff he's being flogged <laughs> he's being uh, deprived of anything other than bread and water it's mm-hmm. in this place that he writes this book and um he talks about, he goes into this whole thing where uh, we, we tend to think that the word dark is a synonym for sinister. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, you know, she even talks about how we expect to read this book written by John called The Dark Night of the Soul and get some awful truth of how to get out of, you know, and, and escape some darkness. And then you find out when you read the book, there's not a one, two, three. He's actually talking about how there's actually light in the darkness and there's never a moment when there's not light right and so it really frustrates some people when they try to uh get into it and the big thing about that book is he doesn't really talk a whole lot about a religion Hmm. and interesting uh, that and his language in the book is actually passionate and actually speaks to senses and emotions Mm -hmm. you know the two things that you're not supposed to uh, talk about in christianity which It's crazy because we're human, and that's a part of who we are. Um, but he, he starts, you know, yeah, he he dives in and he starts talking about this concept um, because in Spanish, the word for God is nada. Like, you ever used that phrase before? Somebody asks you a question, you go nada, like no, but it actually nothing. means yeah. no thing. Because God is not a thing. And so if God is not a thing, then God can't be held onto. But he can only be encountered. Mm-hmm. And that's the premise of the whole book. That God is not a thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, our our 
human, you know, what we've been taught so much in religion is that we have to grasp something, grasp something. We have to hold on to something to get through it. We have to have some concrete one, two, three, and then that's, you know, we'll get to the other side. Which I like those things. And (laughs) that's, if you, if you read scripture, the only time that God is described as one, two, three is from the human capacity to try to understand him. Mm -hmm. The times that God shows up and it's just And crazy things happen Mm -hmm. is in these moments when man kind of gets out of the way and there's just an encounter. And that's what, you know, the author is trying to bring about in this chapter. She's trying to show us that, hey, listen, it doesn't come down to one, two, three. It actually comes down to that in these dark moments, you can have an encounter. Mm -hmm. I like that John, I don't know what his last name is. Um, He says... That the ideas about God are, in fact, obstacles between us and the real thing. Yeah. The images and ideas that we have about Father are actually obstacles. Mm -hmm. They're not Him. Right. They're just our ideas and thoughts. (laughs) And, uh, you know, um, boy. trying to get to this next part. Well, I was just going to say, you know, we've been talking, this whole book has been kind of about looking at your core beliefs and going through them one by one and seeing how they measure up with where you are now. Um, A lot of us are in the deconstruction, reconstruction. I I, I mean, that never, I don't think that ever really ends. Um, But this, that's, that's my segue into this part right here that you can talk about. Okay. Well, (laughs) I, I, I love the description that she gives on, on page 139 because it, it really you know the, these ideas of how you know because she she was a she was a priest and so she would talk about you know this idea of of sin and then you know as she started to grow or as she started to to um, maybe have these encounters with religion and realize that it's just a bunch of whatever and wasn't really encountering God that she shifted from you know, what's sin or really should we be talking about these conditions or these things where we run into as humans called betrayal, brokenness, forgetfulness, uh, distance, loneliness, you know, all these things, which, which is really weighing more on the heart. Mm -hmm. And what I find interesting is the fact that when you actually study the word sin and you find out that it's not an action, but it's actually missing the mark, Mm -hmm. like missing the mark, missing out on who God really is. And from that understanding, knowing who you really are and how God sees you. Mm-hmm. And then so now when we understand that that's really missing the mark, right. you know, that's that concept. Then we're like, okay, then, then let's look at betrayal and brokenness and forgetfulness. Because these are things that are actually hurting us right now in this moment. Yeah. And to some folks, it's hell. Right. You know, we always tend to paint this picture but really about what hell is. But really when Jesus talked about hell, he talked about things that were happening right in the moment to folks that were walking in betrayal, brokenness, forgetfulness, let alone he talked about slavery and people who were being oppressed and how they needed to be helped. And so those people were going through some horrible things. And so so this is this encounter uh, with the creator um, really that needs to be looked at and so when you when you start deconstructing these are the things that kind of come up and so I really felt good when I read this description I'm like wow you know that's really a good description of deconstruction you're moving away from ideas about God into encounters with God right and so bringing us to that one paragraph that you were wanting to get to where you at I'm still on 139 did you move on sorry yep I'll, I'll read that. I'll read that. It says, uh, once you have emerged from whatever safe religious place you are in, recognizing that your view of the world is one worldview among many and discovering the historical Jesus, revolutionizing your understanding of Scripture and updating your theology. Once you have changed the way you do church or at least changed the music at your church and, and hired a pastor who tweets or you can no longer find any church within a 50-mile radius in which you let down your guard long enough to pray. Uh, you 
Your what? Your rare but renovating encounters with the divine reduce all your best words to dust. Which that is literally something that I wrote in a, uh, what do you call that, a poem? Right. That thing I wrote a few months, like a month or two ago. Yeah. It just seems like when all of your, you've said every word you could say over and over and over and it just doesn't feel like it has any meaning anymore. Like right. if you say the word milk 20 times, it's like, what even is that? Right. That's where a lot of people right. are. Right. Um, and you come out of that or you're, you're in the middle of that and it, it feels weird, but really, and I love how, how she wrote, writes it is, it's near, you're not, we, what you finally realize is you're not describing a loss of faith in God. Yeah. You're actually describing a loss of faith in a system and that system tries to box God in mm -hmm. with all these definitions and what he is and, and 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 how he works when really he's an encounter right and she says looking at this about what we just said as dark as it sounds it provides great relief because it now sounds truer than anything that came before yeah I love how Chandler put uh, that spiritual <gasps> journeys that spiritual journeys are actually fluid and that's what we try to do. We try to make things so concrete and things are literally concrete. Right. And things <laughs> aren't concrete. I think we should know enough in life to know right. that life is not concrete, that it's fluid and it flows. And the moment we try to stop things up and make it concrete, right. it starts to break. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. I, I, uh, I'm going to go over here. She says the dark on 145. Okay. Did you have something in between? There? I got something in between. Oh, yeah. then go ahead. Because 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 this brings us to this whole idea of belief. Because we're talking about uh, fluidness, talking about uh, tr not trying to get caught up in definitions, but mm -hmm. actually flowing in encounters. Uh, she talks about how in the 16th century, the word uh, believe or you know to believe was actually uh, the understanding was to set your heart upon, to give your heart to. So belief was all about heart, like I believe in love, okay? Right. But then coming out of the Enlightenment, uh, what happened is that word belief moved into more of a connection with the mind, mm -hmm. okay? And so everything went from heart to mind, but then you get to the, to the 19th century and belief is more about empirical facts or a system of statements. And so what we have now is we've got religion or what's supposed to be spirituality based on a set of systems and statements, but God's not a system and God's not a statement. Right. He's actually an event. Right. He's not a fact that can be grasped. And the moment you try to, to grasp or understand God, he's going to blow it. And he's if gonna you, blow it. Yeah, he's gonna blow your mind. And if you and the moment you try to box him in and define him and set up a system of standards to get to him, guess what you've done? You've created a substitute for God. Because now you're worshiping the substitute, you're worshiping the system, right. you're worshiping, I'm gonna go ahead and say it, the creed, and you're not worshiping the creator. And so we really get into, when we talk about statements and systems and all that, you have a whole different definition of what worship is. Mm -hmm. But when you encounter God, there's a whole other set, a whole other set of terms when it comes to what worship is. Right. Because worship is encounter. Right. It's not defined. Sorry, did I get you to, the, to where you wanted to go? <laughs> You're fine. You can keep going. Um, no. But... I, you know, she she talks about how because um, she, she taught at a college and she would ask her students uh, what um, what they thought of when they hear the word faith and they they were belief and they would start going into these formulas of theological quote unquote truth and basically the light in their eyes go out because their entire belief is based on systems and not encounter. So, um, I like what, what's this John guy's last name again? Do you remember? I don't know if he has a name. I think it's something like, uh, um, John of, I don't know if he has a last name. I really don't. It might be John of the cross. 
Yes. I mean, I don't know if, like, that's the name that's in there, so Everyone I don't know. doesn't have a last name. Anywho, um, <laughs> it says, it talks about how, like, when you're in this position, you don't know what to do, and you're, like, you'll listen to anybody, because you just want out of it. And he says that the dark night is God's best gift to you, intended for your liberation. Hmm. It's about freeing you from your ideas about God, your fears about God, your attachment to all the benefits you have been promised for believing in God, your devotion to the spiritual practices that are supposed to make you feel closer to God, your dedication to doing and believing all the right things about God, your positive and negative evaluations about yourself as a believer in God, your tactics for manipulating God, and your sure cures for doubting God. And that was a whole lot of stuff. Right. And uh, in the next in the next line is all of those are substitutes Substitute. for God. They yeah. all get in God's way. Yeah. And it is dawn of the cross. Okay. Glad we <laughs> fact check. And the crazy thing is, is that um, the, uh, an author named Gerald May actually wrote a book about this guy. And she's, she uses the term that those things are actually addictions. That, yeah. That I can see that. That we actually get addicted to the um, that whole list of things, the making, whole list of things, this making st- an idea like making our God, like our creation, right, and putting it on that box, the things yeah. that we're scared of God about, right? Because he, if we if we get out of line, he's going to put us down in the hot box immediately. <laughs> like that's it, you're done. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but that's that's the general idea of most of most. Um, Denom- like Christian denominations, right? Right. Well, the re- if you think about it, it's the reason why. Um, it's honestly the reason why the majority of mainline den- denominations are dying. Yeah. Because we've created a system and not allowed people to come into encounters. Yeah. Because we're scared of the encounter. Because it's not part of the system. Because it doesn't fall in line with everything that was just in that list about, like, we've made this whole, like, ritual, ooh, scary word, yes of things that we have to follow. We made that. Right. Right. We did it. We did it. Yes. Um, um, yeah, sorry. Um, so, it's, it's in these moments, it's in these places uh, where we walk through... Um, the, these, the dark, darkness, we walk through these things, we encounter Father, we, we, we grow, we, we, we move through it, that's when faith actually becomes a verb. Mm-hmm. And, and we start responding to sacred reality. Right. Which I would say is actually true reality. Mm-hmm. And we move away from religion. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's probably one of the, the greatest concepts that come out of this chapter is we're so afraid of darkness because it'll cause us to lose our religion. Right. When going through those dark nights of the soul is what actually draws us closer to the Creator. The good news is that dark and light, faith and doubt, divine absence and presence do not exist at opposite poles. They exist with and within each other, like distinct waves that roll out of the same ocean and back into it again. Yeah. If uh, They come from and return to the same source. If we can trust that, if we can give our hearts to it and remain conscious of it, then faith becomes a verb, our active response to the sacred reality that the best religions in the world can only point to. Yeah. And then she says... Even when my where my sense of God's absence can be a token of God's presence if I let it. Right. Yeah. Because yeah. I've never thought about that that way. Because we operate a lot on feeling. Right. Yeah. Well, um, we're not going to we're not going to dig no, I only too have, much. We only have two more. Things. Like I said, the 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 huge the hugeness. And there's no way to like really condense it. We're trying. We're trying. But there's really there's so much in between because she does she tells a lot of story and you may be like, 
Okay, when are we gonna get to the one, two, three part? Right. And yeah. the, it really, the one, two, three part is all throughout those stories. You have right. to like look for it. Well, I think I think she's really trying to deconstruct the one, two, three and show that right the story, yeah, your life and walking through it is actually the answer. Yeah, there's beauty in the process, right. and this was this is a process. Right. So we'll, we'll kind of skim through the last two chapters because honestly, I'm not kidding you. That chapter right there is worth reading the book. Yeah, um, I agree. But um, the next chapter she talks about oh. is going to be uh, working with darkness, and uh, I, I'm just gonna, I got to hit the first quote because it's good again. Uh, it says, "We cannot live in a world that is interpreted for us by others. An interpreted world is not a hope." I'm gonna say that again. An interpreted world is not a hope. A world that is defined by others is not hope. Mm-hmm. Part of the terror is to take back our own listening, to use our own voice, and to see our own light. Oh, that's so good. Because mm-hmm. listen, if you're basing everything on somebody else's experience or somebody else's ideas or somebody else's system, mm-hmm. it's not hope. It's not your hope. Right. It's not. You need an encounter. You you need to have that, yeah. and not base it on anything else. Um, because if you, which I think she talks about that, like on the one of the last points that we yeah. did, that your encounter may not look anything like mine, right? And that doesn't mean that yours is wrong or mine is wrong. Right. It's supposed to be that way, right? And that's the thing that um, I know I struggled with a lot when I was young. Was I was never like anybody else. And for, until I got into, like, junior high, I didn't know there was anybody else that was like me. Right. So when I got to junior high and I met a couple friends that, you know, liked the same kind of music that I did, dressed the way I wanted to, you know, I finally was like, oh, okay, so I'm not completely alone. <laughs> and, you know, you're not supposed to be like everybody else. Right. So just because your encounter or your experience doesn't look like another person who maybe you see as stable... That doesn't mean yours is wrong or messed up. Right. And um, really, this this chapter here basically is a, a long story about her, you know, doing some research and finding out that um, we've kind of, in the whole modern idea of constantly having light around us, we've messed up our sleep cycles and really, before this whole idea of having lights on at all the t- at all times, mm-hmm. there were places where you could actually rest, and people would go to bed when it got dark, and they had to wrestle with things. Because what happens when we lie in bed, and it's dark? Mm-hmm. We start thinking about things. Right. And so what we do when we start thinking about things, we turn on the TV, we turn on the light. We, we, we don't allow ourselves to work out some of that stuff and it constantly builds and builds and builds. And so she writes about this experience where she was like, you know what? I'm going to go to a cabin in the woods out in the middle of nowhere where there's no lights, there's no nothing. Mm-hmm. And, she, and, and she walks through some of that and basically she, she decides, um, do I refuse to let, the, let in the night or do I do what I normally do and turn on the lights? Right. And so she finds out you know, it's better to turn towards the beloved. Mm-hmm. It's better to turn towards the creator. Because uh, sometimes, you know what? In the dark, even a dog, even someone that's actually bringing you something good because you're not used to the dark, right. it can seem bad. It can seem scary. Well, yeah. It can seem like, you Somebody's know, walking toward me in the dark, they're about to get throat punched. Right. You know, I'm on my, I'm defensive. I'm not even, I wouldn't even be open to... Oh, maybe something good's right. about to happen. Right. So it might not necessarily be a bad thing, and, but until you put yourself in the position to wrestle through those things and and understand that the dark is not bad, right? You're not you're not going to know that. So that's basically you know the premise of that chapter is let yourself spend some time uh, in the dark. Don't be afraid of it. Right. Actually, encounter it, and then we get to the next chapter. We're breezing through this. <laughs> um, which is another story, which is a, I think is an awesome story, because she goes to um, the... Let me find the name of the church. Oh, boy. Uh, it's a famous church. It's, uh, it's Notre Dame, but I don't think it's the Notre Dame. It might be. 
I can't remember where it is, but basically she talks about going to this to this church, and in the church there's a crypt in the basement, mm-hmm. and how most crypts crypts <laughs> most crypts <laughs> under churches have Christmas? you know it's like a mausoleum. There, there's there's dead people down there. there. It's a graveyard, right. but in this one there's not. There's actually chapels, and there's no natural light down there. Just basically candlelight. And the experience that she has under there is uh, basically encounters, or let's just get old school. Church can happen anywhere. Yeah. That's what I got. Out. I, that's what I got. She, you know, it's old school. So there's definitely altars. There's pews. There's right. there's uh, statues. And the statue that she's looking at is the statue of Mary. And it's not the normal picture of what you would see of Mary. It's actually. Uh, an ethnic Mary. Right. Is that, would that be a, a good way to say that? Sure. Um, she's not white. How about that? Which Mary wasn't oh. white. So it's actually a correct... Maybe accurate? Yeah, an more, accurate More portrayal. accurate than a white woman? Yeah. So <laughs> okay. so that was the encounter. You know, she's, she's seeing things for how they really are. Yeah. And so... But, but you had some stuff written down that she came out of that. What is... Well... On 169. Oh, right here. Sorry. Yeah, get that. Oh, well, she's just talking about how um, in the book of Genesis, darkness was first. Yeah. Light came second. Darkness was upon the face of the deep before God said anything. Then God said light, and there was light. But the second word was not darkness, because the darkness was already there. Right. Darkness was not created. It was already there. So God's act on the first day of creation was not to make light and darkness but to make light and separate it from the darkness, calling the light day and the darkness night. And then she says, we turn it into a story of opposition by loading it with values that are not in the story itself. Nowhere does it say that light is good and darkness bad. Nowhere does it say that God separated the light and darkness as a test to see which one human beings would choose. That's good. That's good. And so... (laughs) I love the question. There's a question here. So how long have we done this? <laughs> like how long have we been spinning the story that right. wasn't intended? Right. And so when you understand uh, that darkness has always been there, and then, I mean, you want to get real weird and wild? Yeah, we do. Then you you got to understand that that God the Father, the Spirit, Jesus. We're in darkness. Hmm. And we don't have a concept of how long that was. Right. I mean, and so what's created is light. Um, it was out of that place that light came. I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you do with that? Well, I mean, to me, it, I mean, this is, I guess, speculation on my part, but that God's like it. God was okay with it. Exactly. And I think I think what, you know, the picture here, when you stand outside, like right now, you know, since daylight savings time happened and we moved back an hour and it's like, you know, it gets dark at like, what, 4 o'clock? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Close. But, but right now it's, like it is. Like 5.30, 6 o'clock, it's, it gets it's dark. What? 7.30. It's 7.35 and it feels like it's midnight outside. It does. And, you know, we got the lights on in the house. And the typical thing for us is to ignore what's happening outside. It's only 7.30. And what and would happen... girl's ready for bed. Yeah. I'm tired. But what would happen if... You know, it's hard to do that when you're in the city. But what mm-hmm. would happen, you know... Because uh, I know some of you folks that watch, you guys live out in the country. You know, you guys know what it's like. You guys know what it's like to walk outside and you don't have the interference of any city light. And you can look up at the stars and you can see everything. And the story that they talk about here in this chapter is... Her and her husband and the dog go out on a night when they can see the moonrise, and they're like, "There's no, there's no sense of busy when you get out from underneath, get out underneath the stars. There's no sense of I gotta hurry mm-hmm. because you look at the majesty of the dark, and you're blown away." Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, the first time that I ever was in Wyoming because Wyoming's I huge, wild, Wyoming. and crazy. Yeah, one, uh, one year on tour, I can't remember what year it was. Driving through Wyoming. About to run out of gas, because, you know, stuff happens on tour. But we're about to run out of gas. We're in the middle of nowhere. And guess what? There is zero light. 
we're on a highway, there's no light, there's no nothing. And I remember pulling off on the side of the road and just walking out a little bit away from the highway and looking up. And it's like a picture that you would see from NASA. You see all the stars, but you don't just see stars. You see entire galaxies and so you know, you, you see that big expanse of the Milky Way mm -hmm. that you only get to see in textbooks if you never go outside in the dark. Mm -hmm. And so when you see that majesty and you look at all of that and you it's the amazement of it that actually brings you in and go, uh, you know, what's the big rush? What's the big hurry? What's the mm -hmm. big when we move beyond that darkness is bad and move into, you know what? There's some amazing things that happen in the dark. There's some beautiful things that happen in the dark. Mm -hmm. um, there's growth. There's, there's a stillness. And you have to slow down. You have to slow down. So. Um, I'm on go for it. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we get to the. Oh wow! I'm in the epilogue. <laughs> in the epilogue. Well, before we get to the epilogue, um, we get to the basically. This is the end of the book, and this is my favorite. One of my well, yeah, it is. It's my favorite line in the entire book. Um, it says, "The light was never in the stone; it was in our eyes all along." And that's referring to the stone when she went uh, in the cave in the and she cave. pulled it out. Yeah. Right. But to me, what made that stand out to mm -hmm. me the most was the light was never in the rigid structure, the religious system, the statements, the one, two, three. The light was never there. It was actually in our eyes. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Because whether you want to believe it or not, this is the truth. The Father loves you. God loves you. He values you beyond measure. And your eyes connect with his eyes. Mm -hmm. And that light is there. Yeah. You're created in his image. That light is there. You can't get rid of it. It's there. Right. And so that to me was just, I read that and about, I just about melted. Because yeah. I was like, man, that is just so good. And I won't read the Thomas Merton Thing. I won't murder now on anybody. I want to, but I'm not. I got Maybe highlight. we can do that on another night because I just, just I read that that was really good. Right. Um, but basically, she has there isn't. Uh, what's that? Is that called? Is that an epilogue? Yes. That's that right. That's actually the word. But you have something out of it that you felt was really good. Um. She. I'm going to read this kind of a big passage, but we get. Um, We've gotten quite a few messages over the last year about people um, wanting to know about deconstruction and how you walk that out and when do you know you should do that or all kinds of questions. And I really feel like what I'm about to read it kind of sums a lot of that up and gives yeah. a little bit of answer. She says... We are all so busy constructing zones of safety that keep breaking down that we hardly notice where all the suffering is coming from. We keep thinking that the problem is out there in things that scare us. Dark nights, dark thoughts, dark guests, dark emotions. If we could just defend ourselves better against those things, we think, then surely we would feel more solid and secure. But of course we're wrong about that, as experience proves again and again. The real problem has far less to do with what is really out there than it does with our resistance to finding out what is really out there. Mm -hmm. The suffering comes from our reluctance to learn to walk in the dark. And she says that this is not a how-to book, but if it were, the only instruction would be to become more curious about your own darkness. Like, so if you're having a hard time and you know, you've, maybe you've left a church and you're on your own, you feel like, um, don't be afraid to find out what that means, like what, what you're feeling. Um, become curious about what's going on. She says, what, and these, these are things you can ask. What can you learn about your fear of it by staying with it for a moment before turning on the lights? Where you can fear, feel the fear in your body. When you felt, what have you felt this way before? What are you afraid is going to happen to you? And what is your mind telling you to do about it? What stories do you tell yourself to keep your fear in place? 
Oh, that is so good. That one right there is totally me. Like, I think about that all the time. What helps you stay conscious even when you're afraid? What have you learned in the dark that you never could have learned in the light? Right. So, I don't know. I just feel like those are some really good questions. If you're in that, um, I don't know, wilderness place of deconstructing like that's just a term right it feels like that it does it feels like that sometimes it feels it feels lonely it feels you know if you stay there too if you if you stay in this place where you feel like there's something wrong with you then Mm -hmm. there's shame yeah and all these things and um and those are things that are like almost immediate i think i mean that was my my experience and when i've talked to other people I, they may not say shame, right? But that's like almost an immediate thing is that they feel they feel shame, right? And and what I love about the overall picture of scripture is that the book is full of people who ask questions. Mm-hmm. The book is full of people who have doubt. The book is full of people who go on crazy journeys yeah. that. When you read them, you're like, what? And how the outcome is. And let's just be real. The disciples, that all of them, some of the major stories and plot lines that you have there are when they ask questions mm-hmm. or when they're totally, totally bewildered and don't know. Yeah. And the truth that comes from the, the not understanding parts. See, we want things so concrete. We want things with so we want all the understanding, and that takes away. I, I I've in the forty five years of my life, I don't know anything else. I've only I've never been out of the church. I've never been out of this thing or whatever. Um, grew up in it, never left it. Um, but in these last eight years or so, the thing that I've come to understand is I learn more in the questioning and the doubting and the wondering and the looking at what I've been taught my entire life and some of that possibly falling away. Mm-hmm. And even in those places where I, I don't have answers for. Right. The closeness and the settledness that I have is bigger than when people would look at me and would say, well, that's a man of God. Or that's a, that's you know that's a testament. That's a picture. That's a statue. That's someone we could put up here. No. And I, <laughs> that pales into comparison to how I actually you know feel now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's moments that I felt like I was a whatever, a champion. I was this or that. The coming to a place where I don't have labels for anything anymore. Coming to a place of not having answers for everything. Coming to a place... And not feeling like you have have to have them. Exactly. Coming to a place where I could actually sit down with someone and talk to them about what they're going through and not have a one, two, three, this is how you get out of this or this is what you do and completely ignore what they are feeling and what they're going through and just try to give them some big, huge dose of faith to encourage them to get them out to just actually sit there and listen and cry. Yeah. And hear and look at them and say, hey, man, I don't know. And when they say, well, where was God in all this? And not try to come up with some lame duck excuse. Right. And make up something. But right. actually look at them and say, hey, man, you know what? I don't know. I don't know why I didn't feel like God was right here. And not try to come up and say, oh, let's just pray about it and tarry. But just actually just be there in that moment. Right. Because, I mean, what we all want is connection. Right. To be seen and heard and to know that our experience and our feelings are valid. Right. And I think, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I think sometimes we need to know that for ourselves. Right. And I think, you know, that passage where Jesus talks about that we are the light of the world, we tend to think that that's like turning on a flashlight and shining our own things. But actually, it it means that you are a reflection to the world. You're a reflection of who Jesus is. And so... Jesus was empathy and sympathy. Mm-hmm. So the light that you're shining in those moments is not a lighthouse in the middle of a storm. It's actually being there. Right. It's not being off over here somewhere shining a light. Hey, come over here. It's actually being on the ship that's actually being shipwrecked. Yeah. 
with the person in empathy and sympathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. That's the light. Yeah. Not the lighthouse. Oh, there's so many songs that were sung back in the good old days. Okay. She's cutting me off. She doesn't want me to get in trouble. Um, So, yeah. What do you think? This book. This book is pretty crazy. I'm excited to uh, dig into. She's got, she's written a lot of books. She has. And we've got another one upstairs. By her, yeah. By her. And I'm stoked to read some more of her stuff and learn from her experience. And, man. Yeah. So this is the last, let's just say the last official. Right. Where we come together and we'll talk this long. Um, Yeah. You might catch us again. We'll probably do something for around Thanksgiving and maybe for well that's for, just in two weeks so right. well maybe not. maybe not so maybe in the midst in December, in December at in the midst some of, point it'll just be a random there might be like a day's notice and then yeah. there might not be it may just be like boop so make sure like that the notifications are on yeah. for when we pop on that follow way us. you'll know right now hit the follow button um, and I guess in planning for next year if there's something that you'd like for us to talk about because yeah. we don't really know what we're still working all that out. We kind of coughed out with doing a book study. Yeah. Because I, I don't know. But I like doing these no, too. No, I do Because I learn from them and I think other folks like, you know, hearing some thoughts that we get from these authors, our own right. thoughts and the author's thoughts. So if you have a book you think you want to recommend oh, yeah. or something, yeah, you can do book that. Yeah, can do. Um, or some thoughts, you, you know, just some things you want to talk about. Right. Um, but we've really enjoyed doing this and getting to talk to some of you and, um, we appreciate it. We appreciate you and your journey and, you know, we just want you to know you're not alone. If you need to talk about anything, we're here to listen. Yeah. Messages. So, all right. That's all we got. That's all we got. And I'm going to get up and turn turn it off. off. All right. Thank you guys. If you got nowhere else to hang on Sundays, hang out with us at 10.30 a.m. Or, or if you have somewhere, you can still hang out. You can anyway. still hang out anyway. You can check us out later after 10.30 yeah. a.m. Yeah. Why would you put it at nighttime? I don't know. All right. Love y'all. <laughs> Bye. Hey, thank you for tuning in. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, check out our webpage. It's wearehopecommunity.com peruse some of the things that we got going on there there's a blog some more media um there's a place to give if you would like to um you can check out some other services that we have got um but more importantly we'd love to hear from you and there's a place where you can just write a question shoot us an email whatever we'd love to hear from you you can also check out our facebook page and our instagram uh you can connect to us connect with us through those as well but thank you so much for tuning in today and remember that you are valuable beyond measure